Very good. Uh, written uh, in honor of today. Oh, you ever heard something, maybe read something, watched something, and thought it meant one thing, only to come to find out it meant something completely different? Always on test at school. <laughs> when you found out it meant something different, it took you by surprise, right? Not just the test score, but, you know, the, maybe a movie, uh, movie Inception, or maybe The Matrix. I don't know if you guys have watched those, but if you watch them, you start thinking, man, it's about one thing, and, and then it's, it's not. It's about something else. Or maybe it's as simple as a children's rhyme, right? Take, for instance, Ring Around the Rosie. At first glance, it seems like a harmless uh, song to get kids moving and, and laughing, and yet so many people believe that it is written about the Great Plague, right? Should we really have kids laughing about that? So when you think you see something, hear something, read something, that it means one thing, but it doesn't, it, it kind of takes you by surprise. It doesn't always have to be negative, it's just different. That's how it was with today's text for me today, uh, this text in Hebrews chapter 2. Over the past couple months, I've, I've read or listened to the entire book of Hebrews 20, 30, 40 times, and, and this text, as I was studying, still completely surprised me. I thought that it was always pointing towards one thing when, come to find out, it was pointing towards something different. We're in the early weeks of a series on the book of Hebrews, and as the front of your bulletin cover suggests, we're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Last week, we looked and we saw that Jesus is God's Son, and we saw a whole slew of reasons that qualified him for that role. This week, I'm going to tell you the punchline right up front. I'm going to tell you that Jesus is truly human. Jesus is true humanity. Now, remember this simple truth as we kind of dig into this text. There's going to be times where it it may be a little confusing. It might feel like we're trudging through some thickness. But if you find yourself lost, just go back to the fact that ultimately I'm getting to the point that Jesus is human. You've uh, heard the text already read right before Jerry played offertory. But let me read it again. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. And furthermore... It is not angels who will control the future we are talking about. For in one place the scriptures say, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet you made them only a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor, and you gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus who was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. It was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. That is the word of the Lord this morning. Now, verse 6 in here uses the term son of man. When you hear that term, what do you think of? Jesus. Thank you. Jesus. And we should. 
Because in the Gospels, when you hear the term Son of Man, it's usually Jesus calling himself that. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In that Gospel, the Gospel of Mark alone, Jesus calls himself Son of Man 14 times. And when he called himself that, I believe that it was his intention to wake the echoes in people's minds of the prophetic text in Daniel. Just listen to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel writes, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal and it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. He saw someone coming like a son of man. So go back to our text today. The author of Hebrews uses the term in verse 6, a son of man. What is he wanting us to think of? A Messiah? Of Jesus? Or is he wanting us to think of something different? I use, uh, I use a commentary. One of the commentaries I use is the New International Commentary on the New Testament. It's real thick. It's real heavy. And uh, oftentimes I get bogged down in it. But in, uh, in, in that commentary about this specific verse, this specific phrase, it says this. It says, No other New Testament writer applies what is man that you should remember him or the son of man that you should visit him to Christ. No other New Testament writer applies that term, son of man, from that text to Christ. So should we. What are we supposed to be thinking of when we hear that term, son of man, used here in our text? One of the joys of studying God's words deeply is the ability to wrestle through what a passage of Scripture would have meant to those the passage was originally written to the original hearers. Because for us today, when we hear the term Son of Man, we think of Jesus, and we should. But the original listeners of this book, the original people that this scholar of scholars wrote this to, to them, when they heard the term Son of Man, they would have thought of humanity in general. They would have thought of people, of mankind, If the echoes of any Old Testament scriptures did pop into their mind, there was a good chance it would have been the 80 plus times this term son of man was used in the book Ezekiel. In Ezekiel's initial call from God, God says to him in chapter 2 verse 1, son of man, stand on your feet and I will talk to you. Chapter 21 verse 2, son of man, set your face towards Jerusalem and preached against it. Chapter 30, verse 2, Son of man, prophesy and say, thus saith the Lord. I'm not going to go over all 80 times that that term is used in that book. My point is this. Each time this phrase is used, it was used to address Ezekiel, a human being. The human that God had chosen to, to speak to his people in that period of history. Now, it may be that you're thinking, wait a second. Why would the original audience, these very, very smart people, think only of this, these texts in Ezekiel and not the one in Daniel also? Couldn't they have been thinking about both? Sure, they could have been. 
But the reason I believe they would have been thinking about the latter meaning, not Jesus, but humanity in general, was because the author of Hebrews in this passage we're studying today is directly quoting Psalm chapter 8. He's quoting Psalm chapter 8, and the original audience, they would have known that. And as such, their minds would have been drawn back to the original meaning of Psalm chapter 8. Are you confused yet? Okay, a little bit. Good. Uh, Bear with me. Remember, we're going to look and see that Jesus is human. And I'm telling you that maybe though we think one thing, maybe something else is really taking place. So let's look at Psalm chapter 8 together. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. If you don't know where Psalms is in your Bible, flip to the middle. You're more likely going to land in it and then go either left or right, depending on where the big bolded numbers are. Psalm chapter 8. And I'll give you a heads up. After I read it, I'm going to ask you, what's this psalm about? Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or the Son of Man that you should care for him? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. What is this psalm about? What is the the focus of this psalm? Glory to the Creator? Okay. We got another guess? Esri? See, you guys always revert back to God. It's usually a right answer here. I want to say, I want to say that this psalm, this is a lyrical cry about the glory of man as God meant them to be. The glory of man as God originally meant them to be. Do you see that in there? Verse 4, okay? What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or the Son of Man, that you should care for Him. Mere mortals, that's a reference to humanity. And the Son of Man, the Hebrew language reads here, the Son of Adam, Adam. This reference in Psalm 8 is not a reference about a coming Messiah. It's a reference to humanity. The same word used here to describe man is the word that God used when He said, let us make man in our image. So God... And the psalmist in Psalm 8 are talking about flesh and blood, you and me. They're talking about humanity. And look at the high esteemed view the psalmist has. You made them only a little lower than God. You made them only a little lower than God. Now, if you're quick and you caught this, you said, oh, wait, that's slightly different than our our Hebrews text. Because in the Hebrews text, it says you made them a little lower than angels, and this says a little lower than God. That's the difference between the Greek version of this psalm and the New Testament version of this song. Uh, Or excuse me, the the Hebrew version of this song. The, The Hebrew version, it says you made them only a little lower than God, a little below Elohim. 
And the psalmist is drawing a very high view of humanity. What was his purpose in drawing that? He was reminding them why they were made. They were crowned with glory and honor, and you gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and herds and animals and birds and fish and everything that swims in the ocean currents. God did this, didn't he? He gave humanity that role. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign or have dominion over the fish and the sea, the birds and the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. The psalmist said the same thing. Chapter 8, verse 6 to 8. What I think is that in Psalm 8, the author of uh, our New Testament Hebrews, the author quoting Psalm 8 is very intentionally quoting something about the glory of humanity. That's why he says what he does. I mean, what are mere mortals that you should think of them? The Son of Man, humanity that you should care for him. You made him a little lower than angels, crowned him with glory and honor, gave him authority over all things. God made humanity a little lower than himself to have dominion over the earth. I want to simplify what I'm trying to say. And if you're looking at a kid's bulletin, you'll get to see it says, uh, Psalm 8, simplify. It says this. I, I think that the author in Hebrews... The passage we're studying today is saying that in verses 6 through 8a, the front half of that, that this is the ideal that God had intended for mankind. This was the purpose God intended mankind to have. So what happened? We look in the second half of verse 8, back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. And I'll read it in three different versions. The King James first. It says, For in that he put all in, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but we see not yet all things put under him. Wow. Okay. English Standard Version. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. A new living. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under humanity's authority. What is this saying? Here's what I think it's saying. We saw in verses 6 through 8a, the first half of it, what God meant humanity to be. I think the second half of verse 8 is saying this is what humanity is. It's not all under their feet yet. It's not all under subjection to it. It's not all under their authority. Why not? Well, it started with a bite from a piece of fruit that humanity wasn't supposed to bite from. And it got all the way down to where Paul writes this in Romans 1, 21 and following. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. The things that they were supposed to be having dominion over is what they began to worship. They sound a little confused. They sound a little frustrated. 
Speaking of our Hebrews 2 text, William Barclay writes, Man was meant to have dominion over everything, but he has not. He is a creature who was frustrated by his circumstances, defeated by his temptations, girt about with his own weaknesses. He who should be free is bound. He who should be a king is a slave. And as G.K. Chesterton put it, Whatever else is or is not true, this one thing is certain. Man is not what he was meant to be. The ideal of mankind was master of the earth. The actual of mankind is currently living in a state of frustration. Humanity is what we're looking at. So where do we go from here? What's next? Uh, The next verse. Chapter 2, verse 9. What we do see is Jesus. What we do see is Jesus. Catch this. Okay, pay attention here. What I told you I'm going to say, I'm about to say. The author of Hebrews has been focused on humanity. What it was meant to be and what it actually is. And then in this act of linguistic genius, he brings Jesus into the picture. Remember last week, we looked at Jesus as God's Son. In the passage we looked at, and then in the rest of chapter 1, we we see the author really painting a picture of the greatness of Jesus, right? The radiating light of God's glory, and the exact imprint of the Father's image, and the heir of all the universe. And and we could really say that the author is pointing towards Jesus' divinity, his divine nature. Now we get to our text today. And the author uses this great twist. It's as if he was saying, you were thinking one thing, but I want to show you something else. He was saying, humanity this, humanity that. And now what we see is Jesus, a human Jesus. Verse 9, what we see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels. We saw that in the quote of the psalmist as he was talking about humanity. Verse 9 again. What we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. We saw that in the psalmist's description of humanity. What we do see is Jesus, a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Jesus, as a human, is what this author is saying. As humanity like it was meant to be, like it was intended to be, Jesus tasted death for everyone. By God's grace, human for humanity. The author of Hebrews, in quoting Psalm 8 the way he does, is saying, Jesus is true humanity. I told you I'd come back to that. Jesus is true humanity. So why does that matter? I think the next verse tells us why. Verse 10. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Into humanity's salvation. 
I don't know if you remember, but a couple of months ago I was talking about the New Testament view of salvation and how it was different than our normal view. The New Testament view of salvation is a restoration of how things were supposed to be with God. Okay, so when the authors in the New Testament speak of salvation, they're talking about restoring things to how they were meant to be with God. Okay? It's different than the clouds and harps and wings and, and pearly gates that we often think of when we think of humanity. Salvation is a restoring of how God meant things to be. Dare I say it's a restoring of what God viewed as the ideal for humanity. Our text today is saying that Jesus, because He was fully human, By his sufferings and by God's grace, he can restore humanity to what they were meant to be. And he can only do that as a true human. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says, There is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man, Jesus Christ. The man, Jesus Christ. Because he was true human, we can be restored to how we are supposed to be in relation to God. We can be restored back to the ideal. So what does that mean to you? What does it mean that the person we celebrate today, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, was truly human? Does it change the way you feel about him? Does it affect our call to be disciples and make disciples of Jesus? Does it affect the way you love Him? Trust Him. Follow Him. Last week, I I finished with the challenge to consider Jesus. To think deeply about this Jesus. And I want to usher that same challenge except with an additional element. Yes, Jesus is God's Son. But Jesus is also true humanity. Think about that this week. Let's pray. Lord God, there are, there are times when uh, maybe it takes a while for, for things to sink in. There are times for me when I, I think I'm reading one thing, but in reality it's saying something else. And And Lord, I thank you for the times where that's the case and you have patience to explain again and again and again. God, I think so often uh, when we come to this week of Holy Week, I think we tend to focus on the fact that Jesus was God and that this was God riding in on a donkey and God hanging on a cross and God being resurrected from the dead. and, And that is true. Lord, I thank you that that is true. But it's also true that Jesus was truly human. And as a human, he rode into Jerusalem. As a human, he undertook the suffering that he went through. As a human, he hung on the cross and wondered where you were. As a human, he was raised to life again by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, allow that to sink in this week. Allow us to remember the humanity of Christ this holy week. And may it change the way we worship Him. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.